You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Versus Bible college trained or ordained leadership was there. Um, so, yeah, how, how does that work? Well, almost all of it was lay leadership. If you look at the Jesus movement um, in Southern California, the, the, the people who came up the uh, Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, which spawned the Rock, which is the biggest church now in San Diego. Um, Mike McIntosh came up out of Calvary Chapel. Mike was had done LSD. He thought that he had blown half of his face off with a shotgun. He believed that for years until he found Jesus. Uh, Greg Laurie starts as a 16-year-old kid. Those guys eventually went to seminary, and but but everybody started out without seminary. Uh, Zach Nazarian, the guy who pastors Hope Chapel Hermosa, uh, came to us. He's a pharmacist. We discipled him. Eventually, he went to seminary. So there there was the seminary involvement, but by and large, it just wasn't there. Mm. And and by and large. Uh, I, I've heard you, I won't repeat what you said, but I heard you make a statement about how seminary can interrupt the the regenerative process of the church. So it, it was it was largely a lay-driven movement. If you look at Bill Hybels, Bill Hybels was a youth director in a church and they were doing exciting things. He went to seminary after the church got started. Mm-hmm. Uh, this This is the story over and over. On the other hand, you look at a Rick Warren, uh, who is a product of a seminary, mm-hmm. but is the kind of guy who gives permission for a lot of things to happen. And so yeah. I think that the issue um, isn't that seminary is bad or Bible college is bad. It's that the systems tend to slow people down. Yeah. And th- this idea of following the spirit and permission giving and mixing it with love, those, those are the things that are going to count. Yes. So good. Uh, love it. Next question is, uh, th- I might tweet this question. So the question was, how far was the planting? Uh, uh, I assume churches and, and micro churches, all sorts of different forms, organized or organic? And I reckon I, I, my tweak is that it's probably going to be on the range. But just talk a bit to that kind of topic of as, and, and the lesson you take out of that. You're exhorting people today as well as they look to multiply. Well, I, there's there's kind of a, a spectrum on the on the on the one hand, um, everything is highly structured and highly controlled. On yep. the other hand, the monkeys run the zoo. And I had a, a mentor <laughs> say at one point, you you want to be about three degrees away from the monkeys running the zoo, and that one stuck with me a lot <laughs> because funny. I had seen the 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 college that I went to. It was a great school. I loved it. But almost everybody failed at ministry when they came out. And uh, uh, about 15% of us actually were there two years later doing stuff. And uh, so I I saw the weakness in this. When we came up, we were kind of overly organized. Then we began to release things. And good things happened as a a result of that. And so on on the other hand, I, I had a friend. And I mentioned him earlier, Roy Hicks Jr., the guy that taught me about forgiveness and permission. They pinned a map of Oregon. He was in a town called Eugene, Oregon, second biggest city in, in the state. 
and they they went and pinned a map where every every place that there are fifteen thousand people or more, we're going to plant a church. And very quickly, they planted sixty churches, and he ran a little Bible school at five thirty in the morning. You had to get up and come to this thing. They were far more organized than we were. Uh, Roy eventually left that job, become a missions director for a denomination, and he passed away. Uh, unfortunately, we lost a, a, a leading light. Uh, we, on the other hand, um, just the way that things were in Southern California, we, we, we were so spread out, we couldn't run a Bible school effectively. We actually did for a little while. And we realized that we're also cutting off people from ministry. We get them doing so much homework that they drop out of doing the ministry that brought them into the to the school. And so we backed away from that. And so for us, everything became organic. And if I have to lean, I want to lean toward the organic. Mm-hmm. I want, I don't want the monkeys running the zoo, but I want there to be a lot of freedom. Uh, one of my friends is leading a movement of, of uh, coffee shop churches that are just popping up all over. And they're starting in Catalina Island, where there's only 3,000 full-time residents who can afford to plant a church there, but mm. you can do it for free in a coffee shop. Sure. They're in Malibu, California, where if you've got a million dollars, you probably can't plant a church, but you can do it for free in a coffee shop. And that one now is spawning a, a num- number of others. And somebody invited them into a big house. So you got 60 people in the, in the movie colony in Malibu, things that you couldn't do wow. if you tried to do it through the organization. Yeah. On the other hand, I look at, at the people who were more organized than us. And I and these are the regrets that I have. I, I regret that we didn't have some sort of an annual gathering, Same. even if people around the world couldn't all get there. Uh, I did a lot of travel to those places, but I, I regret that we didn't gather people together. I, um, I I regret that we didn't have a little better controls on on people, but I wouldn't know what controls to to bring. I can look at the at the leaks. And the places where, in succession, a guy who, who who we believed in, we discipled, we raised him up, and then he wrecked it. Uh, we've seen that numerous times, and and I think we should have had better controls. Although I don't really have any answers, I I I, I can observe the the failure in our movement, but I don't really have solutions. And 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 the solution I wouldn't have would be to force everybody into seminary. And do the thing that the church does today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a reflection. It strikes me that there's always this tension in in any form of leadership, but particularly in church life, where uh, either our primary driver is we want to make sure nothing messes up, and so it becomes super structured. And but there's not a lot of life. You're, you're a long way from the monkeys. Um, yeah. Or you go the other way, where it's kind of like anything goes, but you do get a lot of fallout. And so it's just trying to. And that line's not a static. It's it's going to, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, someone asked. Change change the topic within the movement. What were people's attitudes to the Vietnam War, especially with regard to Jesus as the Prince of Peace? Um, at, at that time, the liberal churches were against the, the Vietnam War. Okay, the more conservative churches were probably in favor of it because of submission to government. And the, in the Jesus movement, there it was pretty much the same. It was uh, we 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 want to submit to the Lord by submitting to our government. There wasn't uh, any kind of that I was aware of ever 
any kind of backlash to the Vietnam War. Uh, and we had a lot of Vietnam vets, mm. broken people that were, were coming to us. And But there was never any anger toward the thing that broke them. There was only love and compassion toward helping them get their life together. So interesting. A related question. Um, I'll just read it out and then you can answer it how you wish. I'd be interested to hear Ralph's perspective on how the free spirited and winsome Jesus movement was followed up fairly quickly by politically conservative Christian evangelicalism. So I think there's some some experiences behind that question, but speak to that as much as you wish. Wow. Uh, I, I need it again to qualify. I always qualify. I remember when the Jesus movement was over. I was, I've told this story numerous times, but I was sitting in the church parking lot, uh, which we had, by this time we had moved out of, we were in all these buildings up and down Manhattan Beach Boulevard. We finally got this bowling alley that's up on stilts. It's an acre of ground with an acre of building raised above it. Wow. And so I'm under the building in the in the parking lot, and I'm angry at my wife and a, and a young woman named Billy Boyd. Her husband was the first person I had really discipled intentionally when he was 16 and I was 22. And now he's our youth pastor or something. And uh, Billy became our women's pastor, but, but but we didn't have a women's pastor. We just my wife and Billy Boyd started a woman's Bible study or women's, I guess it was, they were going to have dinners once a quarter or something like that. And I was angry because everybody knew that you, you don't do that. That's program church. You don't, you don't, you don't do softball. You don't do dinners. You don't do stupid stuff like that. You might do a love feast, but you know, we, you just, you just get in the word and you, and you worship and God blesses and people get saved and they've got in the street and lead their friends to the Lord. And then it hit me. It's over. That's what, that's what was going on. And then it hit me. You're not so smart as you think you are because all of us that were leading in, in the Jesus movement, we'd be together at a youth camp where a bunch of young guys are, were teaching and we sit up at night telling stories. And there was an element of, I, I made this happen. And and I began to realize, sitting there in that parking lot, I, I actually cried tears. I, I was I was angry and frustrated and hurting that it's over, and now I got to go do church, like sort of like we did church before, only different. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, we, we were very aware that these young guys that were coming up just a few years younger than us sold the movement down the river, and, and angry, who was like. These people are sellouts. They they've taken what we gave them in terms of crowds of people, right? And they've turned it into this highly programmable institution, right? And then very quickly, and not as quickly as I think people would, whoever asked that question would think, the the church that was born from the Jesus movement that first went seeker sensitive, seeker driven, mm-hmm. programmy. And 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 that was all about people returning to church, which was pretty easy when people had grown up in children's church or they had grown up in a vacation Bible school or whatever. And now they're in their late 20s and they got two kids and we're going to invite you to bring your children to our church. And and kind of the mantra was return to church. Right. But what about people who never went to church? Because that's who we were reaching. 
Yeah. And, but 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 a lot of those people that we reached off the streets then turned into this other thing. And then several years on, it turned into this politically conservative thing that would, you know, do what it's doing today. The whole anti-mask, anti-vax, anti-Ukraine war, all, all of the things that are going on in the church today. Uh, I think something happened that wasn't healthy, that we we lost what the spirit had given us. Uh, and we lost it very quickly within just a few years. Uh, the, the numbers were still there, but um, the, the leadership changed. How, how do you think it got lost? I think that um, this idea of, of what we see as success, outward success, mm-hmm. uh, n- numbers, money, uh, people get grubby over money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we lost it to, to, to the outward forms of success. Again, I can look mm-hmm. in my own, my own denominational experience, people, kids I grew up with that were, you know, I would see them at youth camp because we came from all over the Pacific Northwest to go to this camp. And so I knew these people and they were three, four or five years younger than me. And then I went to this Bible college and then I went out in this wilderness called the Jesus movement because things, everything was different. And I see these guys coming up behind us. And as they get into positions, uh, power meant something to, that, that didn't mean to us. Uh, money meant something it didn't mean to us. And and, and so um, this whole idea of prestige that comes around having numbers and all of that, uh, we just didn't care about those things. I mean, that's why we never kept records. We never, mm. we never, you know, counted how many churches we, you know, that all came later. Uh, we just we just did what we did, and mm. one of, one of the things that frustrates me about the church, and I see this in my own uh, church culture, the charismatic church culture, is that when we think of the supernatural, we tend to think of. Uh, I was with a group of people recently where a pastor had done a really marvelous teaching on the weekend about ministry in the spirit to each other or to ministry in the spirit, period. He was thinking outward. Everybody in that group, and there were probably close to 40 people in the room, everybody had a story to tell about how the Lord had convicted them about ministering to another person, but it was another person that attended our church. Right. Nobody but my wife and myself had a story about our neighbors. Everybody, it was, it was all... Um, yes. Yes. Centered on the congregation. I think we've lost any kind of a a missional heart in the church in America today. And I would say that in the charismatic church, and I would say that in the non-charismatic church, uh, we're we're all about us. Yeah. And we need to be all about them, whoever them are. Yes. Wholeheartedly agree. So so as as someone who feels deeply called to helping the church rediscover, it's naturally supernatural identity for us uh for Hannah and me it's it's always got to be expressed through discipleship and through mission otherwise it just becomes a christian bless me party and we've been around situations where it's, it, that's all it seems to have been and it's it's very frustrating okay two more qu- oh sorry you're going to say something well i was just going to say one of the things that i in an era when when the world around us has turned off to the gospel 
Mm. What we have found is that you can penetrate those screens, those mm. those anti-Christian, anti-church, uh, science has proved that God doesn't exist, all of that, mm-hmm. by teaching people to 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 kind of lurk in your friendship and wait for your friend to to complain about something. Mm-hmm. And then ask permission to pray. Because as soon as you do yeah. that, the, so the, the, the most ungodly person is going to be looking up almost defiantly going, are you going to do this or not? Mm-hmm. And and then the conversation changes and, and God answers prayers. And when the supernatural happens, people, the, the, the barricades crumble. Yes, I agree. Can I pray for you, I think, is one of the most powerful things we any believer can say to someone. Yeah. All right. Two questions to finish. Okay. As you look back at the Jesus movement, what is your greatest sadness or regret? I don't necessarily mean personally. I mean, it could be if you want, but just overall. I I, I think. Um, that it too quickly um, begin to fall prey to institutionalism. And I, and I would, and again, I, you know, I get this reputation for being anti-seminary and I am not, I, I just think that we should, we should send people to schools after we've discipled them to be pastors and, and church planters. And I, I think that, uh, some groups that I know, um, some that we've named in this time together, uh, they, they 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 too quickly allowed that institutional factor to take over their leaders, and 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 we lost some of the most powerful things that we had. That's to mm-hmm. me is is the you know that that gets back to the monkeys running the zoo thing. Um, yeah. That there needs to be permission giving, mm-hmm. and the and the wild and wacky needs to happen. Uh, I was at this conference with these people doing microchurch and uh, some, I, I, I met a guy who's, he's an internet personality named Richie the Barber. And uh, he's a clown. He, he, and he actually has tattooed his face like a clown. I mean, before he found Christ, wow, he, wild extreme. His, his hair is like, looks like Bozo the clown, which sticks up and it goes out in the sides, orange dyed and, a real funny guy, real personable. And uh, almost as soon as he accepted Christ, he's got this big internet following. He, he starts preaching. And then he's wanting to plant a church. But now suddenly he's he's in a Bible school. And it's like, oh, what are you going to do to this? This is one of the most radical people I've ever seen who is, is motivated and missional. Yeah. And please let's add something to him because Bible school will do that. Let's not take something away from him because a Bible school can do that. And so, you know, as I, I, I look at it, I think we, we, we shut it down a little too quickly. Final question. Thinking positively then, because that's a negative question. Thinking positively, what would be two or three things, or it could be one thing even, that you would want to encourage the next generation of leaders to learn from the Jesus movement, from Jesus people. Um, 
my friend Todd Wilson always says uh, cracks and crannies. Most people say nooks and crannies. What I'm seeing in the microchurch movement that's developing, I, I see the microchurch as a as, as a bit reactionary, where mm-hmm. and I think it's healthy, mm-hmm. but we're reacting against what we see as overprogrammed church. Mm-hmm. We're reacting against what we see as over middle class church. Mm-hmm. We're reacting against government that isn't supporting where we're going mm-hmm. in terms of the message of the gospel, but. As a result, what we're doing, DMM kind of things, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're getting into what Todd calls the cracks and crannies of society. Uh, I, I've got a podcast that I'm about to produce in a couple of days with a guy who has prostate cancer. He's 58 years old. And he started a Zoom church for people with prostate cancer. Wow. So who is organizing their church? to minister to the people in, and, and these, these people don't all live in the same community as this guy because of zoom. They're, yeah. they're far apart. I lead a, what we call a digi church every Thursday night. And uh, we've, we've been as far away from each other as Tennessee, Texas, and all over California. Um, I'm seeing uh, a friend of mine uh, move to California from Florida to plant a church in Oceanside, California, ended up on the beach uh, doing s'mores and it was kind of like the jesus movement people come down the beach they got a guitar and a fire because you can do fires on the beach there and they're roasting marshmallows what are you guys doing oh come on join us and 30 minutes later somebody's accepted jesus wow. well now this is just they're popping up these beachside churches all over i got a text from him this morning here's the church my son pastors um and and everybody has a job and you know is able to do go about their business and so I, I would say that we really need to be thinking about all the people groups who are not white or black middle class people, because that's what the mega churches are, uh, who are, are, are poor or who are broken or extremely wealthy, uh, who, who have something that bonds them together. You know, to me, a, a, a church of lawyers who play golf on Saturday mornings is 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 viable thing to think about uh i've only in my life tried to ever um proselyte one man there was a a man that i knew in hawaii who at one time was the ceo of the largest bank in the state and he's very much turned on christian the bank would host events monthly for pastors that so we could you know share best practices and really great guy he was in another church and they gave him a little pastor's card. He retired then. So he's a very young guy, retired in his 50s, very wealthy guy. And they gave him this little business card, and you know, he showed it to me. And he'd come to our church about once every eight or ten weeks. And but I actually I aggressively tried to get this guy and get my hooks into this guy because where we were at the time, I had left the big church. We're in a place called Kahala in a movie theater, which is like the Beverly Hills of of Hawaii. But we're a middle-class church meeting in a high-bucks neighborhood. The neighbors weren't coming to our church. This guy lived up on the hill. Okay. If if I could get a hold of him and he could start a house church yeah. among wealthy people in Hawaii, the gospel could penetrate a culture that it wasn't touching at all. Yeah. And I think there's a lesson in that that needs to be learned. Is Who are the pockets of people around you? 
Mm. And how do you motivate your people? Because usually there's someone from that pocket of people who are with you. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're enough like us that they can tolerate us, but they're enough different from us that they spend most of their time with these other subset of people. Mm-hmm. How do we missionally in an organized fashion uh, begin to present the message in a way that our people are penetrating their natural habitat, if you would. It's brilliant. Ralph, I'm so grateful for you, for, you. Well, personally for your friendship and, but uh, at just your ministry, your impact upon the church, uh, all the resources you've, you've put out over the years. In a minute, I'm going to ask you just how people can connect with you. And if there's any particular books of yours that you would want to, recommend that would be a good starting point for people to get into what you do i um yeah you could connect with me uh, just my name ralphmore.net and on there i do a, a blog every other week there's a podcast weekly and there are some courses there's three courses up right now on uh multiplying churches and making disciples there's going to be more they're actually have got about seven in the can and so that's there i wrote a book um, called Equipping Everyday Missionaries that I think would be useful okay. to pastors and leaders to help their people uh, understand how to use prayer and and the things of the Spirit to reach into the culture around about and, um, and, and how to get people on mission, how, how to get the pastor thinking missionally a little more than most pastors do. Love it. We'll, we'll, I'll put those in the notes that go with this. Raph, I think the best way we can finish, would you pray for the folks who are watching, um, well, I'm going to let you pray. Whatever it is on your heart to pray over people. Father, my prayer is that um, you'd give us wisdom and discernment, um, guidance from your spirit. Show us how to do the things that we crave, that we long to do, that um, show us the roadblocks, the, the, the friction, the stumbling blocks that are in the way so that we can remove them the growth restricting obstacles show us the fields that are white to harvest show us those people around us that want nothing to do with our gospel uh, but have a lot to do with each other and how we could penetrate those mostly small groupings of people uh, in the in their natural cultural setting lord i pray particularly for the young people that are here that uh, that their fires would be fanned and not put out that uh, people who are are seeing things differently and uh, wanting to do things differently would have the courage to follow your spirit. And Lord, mostly I pray that your spirit would would lead and guide and bless, or that there be an overlay of of of, of grace and action in the lives of the people who are listening today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Rob, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.